Good morning, church. It is great to see you. My name is Jacob. I'm the minister to single adults here. This is my first time preaching in this room, and I am incredibly excited, a little nervous. You're all very intimidating. Do me a favor. If your regular, regular sermon listening face is like one of these, make it one of these today. Help a brother out, okay? Uh, again, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, we are going through a series called Measures. So how am I doing? There's six questions that we are asking ourselves and that we are asking one another to kind of gauge the progress of our spiritual life, to measure it. These questions are not burdens to you. These questions are not things to make you feel guilty. Uh, things that you should be doing to add more pressure on us in the Christian life. Rather, these questions are meant to be encouraging so we can encourage one another. Questions we're asking you to ask yourself and the questions we're preaching about and putting in front of you so that we can ask one another and have a shorthand language so that we can encourage one another. So then we ask the question, have I met with God today? We can remind ourselves of the opportunity we have every day to open up scriptures and meet with God And am I giving or taking to ask where you are in a season of life and how you're contributing to the local body of of Christ in our church out of love and obedience to God? And today we're asking the question, who are my 2 a.m. friends? Who are my 2 a.m. friends? There's something implied in this question that we have to kind of get to and understand. When I was in high school... My curfew was 11.30, far before all of my other friends. And if you asked my parents why, they would say, because nothing good happens after midnight. Which we laugh, but also as parents we say is true, right? Right? So who are my 2 a.m. friends? A 2 a.m. friend is not the person that you go out with until 2 a.m., Okay, the person who's keeping you up till 2 a.m., you get in trouble with, yeah. That is not what a 2 a.m. friend is. Uh, a 2 a.m. friend is deeper than that. It's not the shallow friendship. Uh, a 2 a.m. friend is not when you're just still stirring in your heart about the big game, and so you call your friend at 2 a.m. because coach didn't call the right play. That's not a 2 a.m. friend. The game is long over by 2 a.m., Unless it's the 2.30 CBS game and then it's just now wrapping up uh, at 2 a.m. A 2 a.m. friend is not one of your squad goals, just one of your friends that uh, that you're going out with, that you're communal with. No, it's much deeper than that. I asked a girl uh, one time who her best friend was and she said, oh, that's easy. That's Holly and Sarah and Heather. And I said, I don't think you know what best means. They may be her 2 a.m. friends, but we're talking about, with 2 a.m. friendship, we're talking about open, vulnerable, committed friendship. Your friends that know you, warts and all. The friends that you don't just keep in the front yard, but they know the backyard as well. Friends that are close, you're open with, that you're sharing with. The ones that know your life. Jesus talks about friendship in John chapter 15. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, written by the disciple John, is uh, at this point in the middle of of teachings of Jesus, teaching his disciples. He started in in chapter 13 by washing their feet and showing them humility 
and service. And in John 14, he reminds them that I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. And then after that in John 14, he promises the Holy Spirit to come and teach them and encourage them. And John 15, and Michael read the beginning, talks about how the Father is the vine and that we are the branches. And then in John 15, verse 12, he talks about friendship. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's telling them to love one another, to be friends with one another. The greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. We've heard this verse a lot, I imagine. Uh, a lot of the context we hear it in is uh, the military, the sacrifice that people make for one another. But I think Jesus is talking about it a little differently. He's talking about being friends with his disciples. And then right there, he predicts his death on the cross, which is just going to happen less than 24 hours from that moment. He's saying, I love you and you should love one another. I am friends with you and you should be friends with one another. Sacrificial service friendships, inconvenient friendships. He has this conversation about friendships right after having a conversation about fruit. About fruit. John chapter 15, starting at verse one. Let's read this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be bear more fruit. Before talking about friendship, he talks about fruit. Point number one, four points today. Point number one is the fruit of friendship. The fruit of friendship. He just says that if we, if he is the vine and we are the branches and we are found in him, we remain in him, that he wants us to produce fruit. The question is, who is that fruit for? I think that fruit is for our friends. Remain in me. If you do not bear fruit, you'll be taken away. And if you do bear fruit, you will be pruned. Now this is hard because if we are not bearing fruit, he says the vine dresser takes us away. But if we do bear fruit, he says we are pruned, which is bad news. My mother has a green thumb and she had a plant sitting next to her uh, to our kitchen sink right next to a window and it would grow big and beautiful. And then she would prune it and it would look cold and ugly and naked. And I'd say, why would you do that? It's because she wants it to grow bigger. That we are pruned by the father. Meaning that we are not accepted from 2 a.m. moments. There's going to be a moment in our lives where we have to make a 2 a.m. phone call that something has happened 
We don't like to think about this, but we have to talk about it in order to be prepared that something has happened, an emergency. I need you to come by and watch the kids. That we are in a fight and there is no way that we're gonna survive it unless somebody comes and helps out. That the power has been shut off and there's school tomorrow and we need help. That the depression and anxiety and loneliness of life are so overwhelming that I don't know if I can keep on living Those are the 2 a.m. moments we're talking about, and we have to have a 2 a.m. friend. And talking about that, Jesus talks about fruit, that the fruit of our friendship is for our friends. Let's continue in verse four. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then in order for us to be 2 a.m. friends, we have to be remaining, abiding in the vine. Talking about fruit, the fruit of our friendship, the fruit of friendship is for our friends. Paul continues this analogy in Galatians chapter five when he talks about the fruit of the spirit. He says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you, Vacation Bible School, for helping me remember all of those, right? The friendship, the fruit is not meant to be enjoyed alone. That's not how God designed it. I can go into my private prayer closet and guys, I will tell you, when I'm alone, meeting with God, I am so patient and so peaceful, so gentle, so kind, so self-controlled. The problem is in my Christian life that I interact with people. You are the problem. (laughs) Ministry would be so easy without all the people, right? People are the worst, not if you agree, yes. That in order for us to grow in the Lord and produce fruit, that fruit is for our friends so that my patience and my peace and my joy is to be enjoyed by my community, to be shared with my friends. That's the fruit of friendship, that we are growing in the Lord for the benefit and for the purpose of obedience with God and the enjoyment of our friendship and our community. Love God and then love one another, Jesus teaches his disciples. And this is a grace to us. Point number two, the grace of friendship. It's great that God designed it this way, that we aren't meant to be alone. That if I'm honest, uh, I don't necessarily wanna be a friend all the time. Sometimes I wanna be an outlaw. I wanna be a cowboy. I wanna be... The outlaw Josie Way. I want to be uh, Clint Eastwood who just rides his steed and doesn't need a friend. That's what I want to be, but that's not how God designed it to be. He designed us for friendship. He created us in the image of God. And so if we are created in the image of God, we are created for a relationship. You don't teach a baby how to laugh. You don't teach a baby how to sing and you don't teach a baby about the importance of friendship. That if we are created in the image of God, we are created for relationship. This is what's called common grace, that everybody created in the image of God 
knows this about God because they are created in the image of God. And so they know about friendship. The world knows about friendship. The world can teach us about friendship. The world can teach us that you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. All right, sing it if you know it. Winter, spring, summer. Oh, that's good. All you got to do is call and I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend. Oh, that's good. Carol King made a lot of money off of James Taylor's voice. She really did. That was 1971 Grammy winning song, You've Got a Friend. And if the 70s were too early for you, the 80s teach us a lot. Bill Withers says, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend and help you carry on. If you weren't alive for that, Club Nouveau redid it and just added, we be jamming. <laughs> that the world knows about friendship. Books, movies, television shows are about Friendship. Just the music to television shows alone teach us about friendship. That in the mind of Kevin Arnold and the voice of Joe Cocker, the words of Leonard, Lennon and McCartney saying, I get by with a little help from my friends. That those golden girls said, thank you for being a friend. Right? So no one told you life was gonna be this way. <sighs> Guys, I confess that was an experiment. I bet Ethan that I could get white people to clap in church. And that's bad news. If we can't clap to the Friends theme song together, guys, I don't know. That's just who we are. Okay. The point being, the world knows about friendship. The world knows about friendship, but we offer more than just friendship. We offer something deeper. But it is good that we have been given friendship, the grace of friendship, so that we can live together as God has intended for us. Point number three is the harmony of friendship. That we are to be friends with people in the church and we are to be friends with those outside the church. I call it the harmony of friendship. I was gonna call it the world of friendship, but point number one was F and point number two was G and spoiler alert, point number Four is going to be I, so I had to choose an H word. I got out my H dictionary. And the harmony of friendship is what we're going us. The harmony of friendship is not homogeneous, but heterogeneous. It's a humongous horde of humble humans. You guys have got to get these dictionaries. <laughs> They're really good. The harmony of friendship, that we are to be friends with those inside the church. Jesus talks about this, and he talks about it in 2 a.m. friendship over in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5, going to verse 9. And he said to them, he's talking to them, earlier in Luke 11, Jesus just taught them the Lord's prayer. And so in the context of talking about prayer, he uses an illustration about friendship. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus used an example of 2 a.m. friendship. There's these three guys. I was going to call them Chandler, Ross, and Joey, but it was a little too on the nose. All of my cultural relevance is 20 years old. So instead, I'm gonna call them Larry, Curly, and Moe. So Larry, Curly, Moe, Larry is at home and he has a friend come from out of town. Curly's in from out of town and he wasn't expecting him and he needs a place to stay and he needs some food. And Larry is going to be a good 2 a.m. friend to him but he doesn't have anything to offer. So he goes to Mo, his other 2 a.m. friend and knocks on the door. And Mo says, leave me alone. It's 2 a.m. My children are in bed with me. I'm in my pajamas. I'm not even decent. Go away. But Larry insists because he wants to care for his 2 a.m. friend. We are to care for one another. Larry is the example we're going with, not Mo, okay? Larry is the one we're going with. And he would go and inconvenience his other friend for the sake of the friend he has coming in town. And it says there, after midnight. So I'm assuming 2 a.m. This isn't news to us about how we're to treat one another in the church. How we are to be there sacrificially, inconveniencing one another at times for the sake of the gospel. The New Testament says at least 23 Uh, options over 30 times of how we are to treat one another. It says, the New Testament says, we're to love one another, show honor to one another, do not judge one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, instruct, greet, care for, wait for, comfort one another, agree with one another, serve one another, bear the burdens of, be kind to, forgive, submit to, speak truth to one another, encourage one another, do good to, confess to, pray for, do not speak evil against, show hospitality to one another. The New Testament is telling us to be friends with one another, good friends with one another, the kind of friends that you love and that you care for and that can call on you at 2 a.m. when life gets too much. This is consistent throughout scripture of how we are to treat one another, especially inside the church. We're gonna pause for just a moment and I'm gonna put an outline in an outline, a small sermon in a sermon. This is my Hamlet of what does a 2 a.m. friend do? Point number one, a 2 a.m. friend answers the call. When you're a 2 a.m. friend with someone, you're close, you're there for one another, you're iron sharpening iron, you're bearing one another's burdens. When your 2 a.m. friend calls, you answer. You answer the call and let them know that you are there for them. Point number two, a 2 a.m. friend makes the call. This is the hard part. A 2 a.m. friend makes the call because friendship works both ways. Friendship is not a one-way street. How many of you have a friend that is going through something or has gone through something and you said, I wish you would have called me, I could have helped you. A 2 a.m. friend makes the call. This is hard because you have to confess in these moments that I don't have it all together. I'm not enough. I need help. And that is a hard thing to do because we are prideful, arrogant, judgmental creatures. If you are serving at a soup kitchen, you are happy to give meals and soup to whomever comes through. But when the moment gets tough for you, and we read that we will be pruned and the moment can get tough for any of us and all of us, you would say, I would never go to that soup kitchen. It would never get that bad for me. That's judgment. That's pride and arrogance, and that's sin. 
To use a, a sillier example, how many of you have been over to someone's house and the hostess has said to you, oh my gosh, my house is so dirty. I didn't clean. I'm so sorry. And you say, it's fine. Oh, don't even worry about it. It's okay. And yet when those people come over to your house, you're busting it to clean up the house and you're yelling at everybody so that your house is clean. That's judgment. That's pride. That's arrogance. We have to confess that. We have to ask the Lord to forgive us of that when it sneaks up in our life. A 2 a.m. friend makes the call, is vulnerable and willing to say, I need help. Point three, what does a 2 a.m. friend do? A 2 a.m. friend listens, listens. You let your friend know that you're there for them, that they're not alone. If misery loves company, it's because being miserable is miserable, right? People need to know that you're there for them. You're listening. You're listening more than you're speaking. Sometimes, most of the time, 2 a.m. is not the moment for tough love. If it's the fourth 2 a.m. in a row, perhaps it is the moment for tough love. But 2 a.m. is most likely not the moment for tough love. It's the moment for listening, for grace. Point number four, what does a 2 a.m. friend do? Provides for a need. What do you need? You need me to come over? You need a little money, a short-term loan? Do you... You need some help? You need someone to talk to? Can we find you some help? We're here for you. I'm here for you. Tell me what you need. A 2 a.m. friend provides a need. And then point number five, reminds you of God's truth. A 2 a.m. friend reminds you of God's truth. We are all going to go through a rock bottom moment. A moment where we are in the valley of the shadow of death and we're going to need a friend. And that is the moment that you need a 2 a.m. friend to remind you of God's truth. It is very easy at 10.13 on a Sunday morning to remember God's truth. It is very hard at 2 a.m. on a Thursday morning to remember God's truth, right? And that's why you're there, to preach to one another, to encourage one another with God's truth. God's truth that says, I will not leave you nor forsake you, that I am here, that God says you are not alone, that I know your pain, that Jesus himself was subject to every trial and temptation that you have experienced, that God is our rock and our salvation and ever-present help in times of trouble, that Jehovah Jireh is God our provider, that Jehovah Nisi is God our victory that Jehovah Shalom is our God of peace, that he is the almighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, that forgiveness is possible, that reconciliation is available to you, that you can get help and that God is with you, God with us in Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel is here with you and he wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to draw you near to him. That is our God of love and our God of mercy. And he is there with you in your 2 a.m. moments. And we have to remember that because it's easy to forget. We have to remember and we have to remind one another at 2 a.m. And we have to offer this to the church 
We have to offer this to one another in the church, and we also have to offer this to those outside the church. In a couple weeks, Steve, our minister of community engagement, is going to preach on this. I'm the first person to say that. That's fun. He's going to preach on this of, are you close to someone far from God? This is where it gets messy, folks. This is where it gets challenging, and we need wisdom. There's a great story about 2 a.m. friendship in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 25 to 34. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And they've converted Lydia, and she's a Christian now, and they're staying in their home, and they're going around preaching. And there was a slave girl who had access, a spirit of divination. And her owners used her to make a little money because she could predict the future. And this girl would follow Paul and Silas around and say, these are servants of the most high God offering us salvation. These are servants of the most high God offering us salvation. And she would do this for days and annoyed Paul so much that he cast the spirit out of her in the name of Jesus. This is very encouraging to see Paul get annoyed, especially for ministers. Paul getting annoyed and gosh, I just want to cast demons out of you in the name of Jesus just by being annoyed. But anyway, the uh, owners of this slave girl got a little upset that their cash cow had now dried up. And so they grab Paul and Silas and throw them in the marketplace and beat them and stir up the crowd against them to where they were thrown in prison and told the jailer, lock them up, don't let them out. And so Paul and Silas are not just in prison, but in the inner prison where their hands and their feet were bound and shackled. And it says that night that they were singing praises and hymns to God. And an earthquake happens and the foundation of the prison was shook so much so that the doors of the prison swung open and their shackles were loosed. Don't ever forget that our God is in the business of loosing shackles. That he's a God of liberation and freedom and he will not leave us bound in the name of Jesus. So the doors swing open and their shackles were loosed. And uh, the jailer, when it says when he wakes up, just ignores the concussion protocol and just sees that the doors is wide, are wide open. That was an NFL joke. It didn't work well. We'll come back to it. The doors are swung wide open. He had one job to keep them locked up and the doors are open. He assumes everyone's gone and he pulls out a sword to end his life. He's at a 2 a.m. moment. And before he takes his own life, he hears a voice say, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And he grabs a light and he goes inside and he sees Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners all there. And he throws himself at the feet and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And it says that hour after midnight, so I'm assuming it's 2 a.m., that hour they went back to the jailer's house. He was baptized, he and his whole family, and they were saved. Because Paul was a 2 a.m. friend to someone outside the church. And I'd like to think that that jailer and his family became a part of the church at Philippians. And years later, when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, and says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I am in prison writing this letter. That that jailer smiled when the words were read aloud of Paul writing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That that jailer knew 
what Paul being in shackles, being in prison looked like and knew that God would overcome. We have to be ready to be friends, 2 a.m. friends with those outside the church to deliver to them God's truth and God's hope in the hopeless moments. And we can only do this because of point four, the initiator of friendship. The initiator of friendship, that Christ is the truer, better friend who initiated friendship with us. Then in Luke chapter seven, Jesus says, uh, putting in the words of the Pharisees, the son of man came eating and drinking and they call him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. My friends today, that is good news. That is good news that Jesus Christ came and is a friend of the sinners and the tax collectors, of the lustful and the arrogant and the judgmental and the greedy and the prideful and the depressed and the isolated and the broken. My friends, it is good news that he is friends with us, that we have a friend in Jesus Christ. That James said, Abraham believed, put his faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he became a friend of God that we can be friends of God through our faith in Jesus who was first a friend to us. Be friends to one another because I am a friend to you. That is good news to us today. There's a good chance today that you're one of two people and we are all one of these two people. One, you may be running away from God. You don't have time for it right now. Life is too busy. Something in your life has gone wrong and you're running away from the Lord. You're, you're a Jonah who was called to go to Nineveh but turned and went to Tarshish. He was supposed to go one way and he is running away from God. And life caught up to him. A squall came on the sea and he was thrown overboard and he calls out to God in Jonah chapter two, starting in verse two. He calls out to God saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am a driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That Jonah was at a 2 a.m. moment, thrown overboard, ready to die. But he called out to God. He made that 2 a.m. phone call to God and he says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. I was ready to face death, but I know, though it is dark now, again I will look upon your holy temple. That again, though I am at the gates of hell, I will be looking at your holy temple in heaven because he made that 2 a.m. call out to God. But you may not be Jonah. You may not be running away from God. You may be pursuing God. You may be on the Christian journey, pursuing after righteousness, being obedient to God. You are not exempt from a 2 a.m. moment. They will happen to all of us. You're like David, Psalm 18, David 
It was not necessarily his sins, but the sins around us. God forgives our sins, but we know that there are consequences to sins. And it was the sins of those around him and his enemies trying to kill him that David says in Psalm chapter 18, starting in verse four, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. You can be pursuing after God and you're still gonna have a 2 a.m. moment. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. That in our darkness, in our death, we can call out to God and he answers our prayers that we have been delivered by the friend we have of Jesus Christ, that our prayers are answered, salvation is available to us, that when we are lying awake in those 2 a.m. moments because we don't have the answers, Christ has delivered us. The question has been answered and we are saved. This is good news, my friends. This is good news. That Proverbs says, a man of many companions may suffer ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That Jesus is a friend to us. He's close to us, closer than a brother, that we are even co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Not that he's the big brother who gets everything and we're the little brother just happy to be there. No, we are elevated to co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That if we are found in him, if we remain in him, if we abide in him, we are lifted up in glory, co-heirs with Jesus and we will meet with God in heaven looking at his holy temple. Because Jesus was a friend to us first. We're gonna watch a story, a shade story about Becca Lafferty in her moments of darkness and isolation and the friendship that she asked for. Let's watch. The interesting thing about depression is that for me, it shows me a picture of like what the gospel does, right? Because sin is never something that we defeat once and for all. Like Jesus has already done it, but we, so we are justified 100% right before the Lord when we accept that, but we are continually being sanctified. We, we still struggle day to day with sin. You know, that's something Paul talks about all the time. Nobody's life is perfect day to day. That's just like not how it is. I mean, probably my worst was when I got diagnosed uh, my sophomore year of college because I went to the doctor and he was like, how long have you been feeling like this? And I was like, ugh, I don't know, two months. He was like, well, then probably you've been feeling like this for four months. You just haven't like really realized it. But I had dug myself so deeply into isolation, like not talking to people how I felt, not coming to church, like totally disconnecting from my community, um, that it was really difficult to like climb back out of that hole. Because once you haven't been telling people that you've been feeling this way and you have to start telling them, it's like 
uh, it's like the most awful, awkward, painful conversation. You have to be like, hi, I've been feeling like the lowest piece of scum for like the past four months. And I haven't told you about it because I was embarrassed and I didn't think you would understand, but really I've been absolutely miserable. And I think, um, there's a quote, there's a quote in Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, where Luna Lovegood is talking about Voldemort, the evil dark Lord. And, and, uh, she's like, you know, he wants you to feel alone. Like that's how he gets you. He, he wants you to feel like you're the only one that you're alone. And that's what Satan does. Satan wants you to think that you're the biggest, baddest sinner of them all. And that, you know, you're the only one who struggles with this. You're the only one who feels worthless and you are worthless because you're the only one who feels that way. Um, and by being open and talking with people, that defeats the isolation aspect of it. it. It makes you realize that everybody struggles with something. Like, it doesn't have to be depression or anxiety. Everybody is going to struggle with a battle at some point in their life. And if we bottle that up and we don't talk about it, Satan wins. Even though it was when I eventually did it painful, it would have been so much better if I had been open with people. Like open up to people go to people that you know are wiser than you talk to them like that's what I wish I had known that like people love you your community cares about you and yeah they're gonna like probably give you some hard truths that aren't gonna be fun but ultimately those things are gonna lead to healing and to being put back into a community rather than feeling isolated I also know that I have another home in Singapore um, and that I feel so called there, even though it's sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's difficult. And, you know, like I still get depressed on the other side of the world. Amazing. Um, but that there is so much purpose, even in that, um, that God's going to call you to do hard things. And you, you go and you make disciples of all nations, wherever that is, even if it's hard. No, I love it. Blooper reel. <laughs> such a great story, and Becca has such a powerful testimony. To remind us that we are not alone. That we have faith in Jesus Christ, and he is there with us. And that we, as members of this church, have one another. That we have two AM friends here in the church. We're gonna have a time of corporate response. It's gonna be a little different than what we normal, normally do. We've done this once before. We're gonna have prayer partners and encouragers throughout the room, and I would like for you to respond in one of three different ways. Uh, there's gonna be encouragers through the room, and the altar's gonna be available. Uh, one, you may be going through something. Chances are you are going through something, and you haven't told somebody. We wanna give you a space to, to air that, to confess it, either here or with a partner. And that doesn't mean that partner is your new 2 a.m. friend, but rather we are just, we want to invite you to share that thing that you're holding on, that darkness, that shame, to bring it out. Let the Lord begin the work of loosing shackles. Second, we want you to pray, if you don't have a 2 a.m. friend, that God would bring you one. 
You may be new. You're going through transition. You just moved to Birmingham. You're in college or you're at a season of life that is changing and you don't have a 2 a.m. friend or you've got a good group, but no one that you know would answer that call. I want to ask you to pray for that. And number three, you have a 2 a.m. friend and they're going through something. I want to set this time aside uh, for you to intercede on their behalf. So I'm going to ask the prayer partners and encouragers to come throughout uh, the room and in the balcony. You can go find someone uh, to pray with. Or if you're not comfortable with that, that you can come to the altar and pray to God interceding. Yes, it might be a little awkward for just a few moments, but as Christians, we can't be afraid of the awkward moment. We can't be afraid of the awkward situation because that's when we are weak, God is the most powerful. So I invite them to come and I invite you to come as we respond in prayer together. Come.